Well, happy and joyous New Year to you all. <laughs> um, you know, I was thinking uh, as we look at, we, we're starting a new series, uh, as you can see. I'm not sure if I'm going to call it that title. That's Dad's title. Maybe we'll come up with a new one and get some new graphics. What do you think? <laughs> that's not a slight. That's just, just different. Um, but I wondered, if, if I went around and asked you all uh, what you thought the greatest dangers to the church are today, we'd probably get a spectrum of answers. Uh, some people might say, uh, you know, it's the, it's the dwindling numbers, the smaller numbers in churches. Some might say, you know, it's, it's apathy inside the church. Some might say, you know, the people are too conservative. Or some people might say people are not conservative enough or some might say it's how we look to the outside world. And over the next several weeks, we are going to look at this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And in it, we will be protected, if we hear and respond to what it says, from two great dangers in the church. When we lose truth in our lives... And when we lose love. First, if we were to lose truth in our lives, one of the, the biggest buzzwords over the last few years has been this word diversity. We need more diversity. Everyone is pursuing diversity. Diversity of religion. Diversity of opinion. Diversity of sexuality. Diversity in the arts. Diversity, diversity, diversity. But to what end? Unless there is an agreed-upon truth, diversity only fragments. If you were on a sports team and there was a, a great diversity of skilled players, but they were not on the same page, or, or they had a disagreement about how the rules worked, then that team won't accomplish anything. Or if you had a band that played uh, a bunch of different diverse instruments, but there was no agreement on the arrangement or the tempo, it would be a disaster. Or as some people call it, jazz. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Unless there is a glue to hold it all together, it becomes fragmented. And the same goes for the church. Unless there is uh, unity, there will only be fractured chaos. 1 Corinthians gives the glue for unity as well as the blessing of diversity. The second danger in the church is when we lose love. Now, there is plenty of self-love around, but self-love doesn't help families. Self-love doesn't help friendship. Self-love doesn't bring peace. Self-love only helps self. And in the long term, it ultimately leads to being alone. But the Bible teaches us selfless love. From the very beginning, God has demonstrated selfless love. Working out his plan of salvation that would ultimately crescendo in that selfless act on the cross. And so how can the church be the church? How can the bride of Christ shine brightly to the non-believing world if we are broken and fractured, if we are self-focused and loveless? 
And the answer, quite obviously, is that we cannot. To the rest of the world, we will look like the rest of the world. And what kind of testimony is that? Well, this letter is written to the church in Corinth. Uh, Corinth is uh, sort of south-central Greece. Paul has visited Corinth, and he's taken the gospel to this community. He stayed there uh, for about 18 months teaching. And Paul had high hopes for the Corinthian believers. Uh, But soon after uh, he leaves... He hears about all these divisions and these major issues that were being raised in the church. Uh, Corinth is a a major city, and in a major pagan city, there was so much tension in the church on how to relate to the rest of the world. One group felt association with sinners was permissible and necessary. Another argued that they should be uh, isolationists and preserve their holiness, Uh, Then they had misunderstandings about end times. Uh, There were some who thought that they were more spiritual or more knowledgeable than other believers. Uh, There were insults being made about Paul. There was rampant immorality. There were lawsuits between believers. And then the Corinthians even write to Paul with a lot of questions. Questions about singleness and marriage. Questions about freedom, what they can and cannot do. And questions about the resurrection. They were a total mess. And this is one of four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, but God and his wisdom and his sovereignty, uh, only two survived. And this letter answers a lot of questions, but it is also written because the Corinthians are very young. They're new believers, and they are very much in danger of being derailed. They were being derailed because everyone was looking out for number one. And we see this in our world today. The world is interested in me and now. And similar to Corinth, this thinking has seeped into our churches. The world has gotten into the church and we begin to think like the world. When, when people come into churches and they assess everything by what they feel, uh, by themselves and by the immediate, and if nothing fulfills that criteria of, uh, of feelings and self and immediate, then it is deemed no good. And that is a mark of immaturity. And my prayer is that as we go through this letter together, we may all grow in wisdom and maturity and unity as we study God's Word. So how about I pray for us? Father, we know that these are very real situations, and we see them playing out. And so, Father, we ask that you would guard us against such disunity. Father, we pray that your Spirit would speak to us today and in the coming weeks through this letter from Paul to us as Christians. That we would take these words to heart, that we would apply, and that we would be protected from the loss of truth and the loss of love. That you would give us these things. For we know that every good gift comes from you. Father, would you speak through me even this morning? 
that my words would be clear and that we would have, again, ears, hearts, and minds that are attentive to what you have to say to us through this. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In chapter 1, Paul is laying a foundation for the church in this letter. And you see, Paul has to get the foundation right first before he can start going around and putting out all the fires that are happening in the church in Corinth. And if we don't get that foundation right first, then the teachings, the additional teachings can be misunderstood and misconstrued. It's like the tower in Pisa. You know, Pisa, the Greek word for Pisa is uh, marshland. And um, I'm told that the builder of the Tower of Pisa laid a big slab of marble and only went down about 10 feet for foundation. And then they started to build. And then they noticed that the tower was starting to lean. And so they compensated. And so they built uh, on the opposite side, on the leaning side, they built the columns, the next row of columns up an inch higher than the other side. And then when it started to lean the other way, they, they compensated and put two inches on the other side until obviously what we have today, the leaning Tower of Pisa. And so all this back and forth and, 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 and uh, getting lost and forgetting the foundations. If you get the foundations wrong and you try and compensate, it only leads to disaster. And so rather than realizing that the foundation was poor in the Leaning Tower of Pisa, they should have just started over on solid foundation. And Paul doesn't want us to just, he doesn't want to just write back answers to this church and try and compensate. He needs to reset the foundations. And so what are the foundations? What is the foundation? In the first three verses, Paul wants it, and you can open your Bibles, if you will, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In the first three verses, Paul wants it abundantly clear uh, who he is and to whom he is writing. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. This isn't just a, a, a guy who wants to share his opinions. Uh, this isn't a guru who just wants to share the power of positive thinking. This is Paul, the apostle, who has seen the resurrected Christ and received specific instructions to preach the gospel. He has power and authority given to him that others do not have. And so when he speaks, the Corinthians would do well to listen. And so for us as well, as God is speaking uh, by his spirit through his instrument, Paul. Apostle is a, a unique title, uh, meaning sent one. That's why our church is called the Church of the Apostles, because we stand on the teachings and the authority of God's apostles, his sent ones. And it was the will of God that Paul be his apostle. That's why Jesus specifically targets Paul on the road to Damascus. And why he's reaching out to these Gentile communities, even in Corinth here. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Not to the group of people who gather in Corinth because they worship God. But you belong to him. You are the church of God. You are his people called by his name. 
And God has you in Corinth, a city of terrible reputation for its fallenness, a a city totally lost and caught up in self and pleasure, a, a city that was once completely shrouded in darkness. And he has them there for a reason. And it's amazing that in that city, God could save people. They should be uh, amazed at this. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You are saints. You have been set apart, even though you may not feel like it at times, even though you may not look like it at times. You have placed your trust, even your infantile faith, in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, and that makes you a saint. Why does Paul do this? Why does he greet them like this? See, he's reminding them of who they are and to whom they belong to. How often we forget who we are. And we, like these Corinthians, think it's about me and now. They have lost sight of who they once were and who they now are and who they will one day be. Once enemies of God, now redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Christ Jesus, one day to be dwelling with God and the saints in heaven forever. And the second we forget that, we think like the world. We are out for number one again. Self-love, self-preservation, self-focus. And Paul ties the connection with Christ to the unity of the body, the saints, to all those who have been called according to his purposes. And there's a response. He calls out and we respond and we call back to God. All those who in every place call upon the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Lord and he's their Lord. We are together. And Paul knows that there is division in this church in Corinth. And so he, even in his from and to introduction, he starts building that unity. And then Paul gives thanks. He's thankful because God has shown his grace through Christ. Because that grace has been shown to the Corinthians. Because God has given gifts. Because God has been faithful and will continue to be faithful. Any pastor would give thanks for these things in his church. How good it is that these people in this completely lost and dreadful city have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that not only are they saved eternally... But they are given gifts to build the body, the church. And not only are they saved and given gifts, but they will be brought through. They will be sustained. They will be carried, not by their good works, but because of Christ. What good news this is! The Corinthians should be rejoicing. But you see, what Paul is doing here is really quite remarkable. The things that he is thankful for are the very things that the Corinthians are boasting in. 
Have they received new life? Yes. They're boasting about it as if it's something that they have done. Paul says, it has come by grace. Do they like gifts and speaking in tongues as we'll see in future weeks? Yes, they boast about it. In fact, they even lord it over others. Paul says these gifts have come from God. Do they love the abilities that God has given, the knowledge that God has given? Yes, they're boasting about it. Paul says God is the one who gave it to you. He's the one who will carry you. He's the one who will deliver you. But how we can take these things and turn them into trophies, can't we? How quickly we turn these things uh, into comparisons and into competitions. How quickly we can turn a spiritual gift into an idol. How quickly we forget truth. Because the truth is, it all comes from God and it is all for God. And so Paul writes to remind the Corinthians... I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Your division and disunity is a bad witness. You're you're destroying the family. Have you ever seen a divided, disunified family? It's so sad. Husband against wife, children against parents, siblings against each other. It's heartbreaking because we know that this is not what a family is supposed to be. It is not intended to be split and fractured. It is supposed to be safe and secure and loving and caring and helpful. But when everyone is out for number one, and those priorities for self come before the family, it all falls apart. When a member of a family thinks of themselves more highly than they ought, and strife sets in, it is, is terrible. And everyone around can see it and feel it. Don't be like this, Paul says. You're one family with one Lord, one Savior, You can agree on the important things and let the petty things fall by the wayside. Major on the majors and minor on the minors. In the Corinthians specific instance, there were these four factions or groups. There's the Paul group, the Apollos group, the Peter group, and the Christ group. And the Paul group says, we go with Paul because he is the one that started our church. He is the founder of this church. And the Apollos group goes, we're with Apollos because he's the most eloquent. He's the best communicator. And the Peter group says, we go with Peter because he's part of the original 12. And the Christ group could be the worst because they could be thinking that they're the only ones with Christ or they do not submit to any authority or any leader or any teacher except Christ, which would probably mean that they just want to go their own way and submit to their own teaching. And so Paul destroys all of this line of thinking. Can Christ be divided? 
No. Was Paul crucified? No. Were you baptized into the name of Paul? No. He says, we are all unified, not in my teaching, not in Apollos' teaching, not in Peter's writing, but under the cross of Christ. We are unified under that act. That's the foundation that Paul is laying. But you want to know what the real problem is? Here's the problem with the Corinthian church. It's not the divisions and the fighting. It's that their eyes are on the wrong thing. Their minds are on the wrong thing. They measure things wrongly. They look at things and say, I like this person. Uh, I like this feeling. I like that experience. Their minds are not on the real reason they are saved and the real reason they are family and the real reason they are together, which is that Christ died for them. Does anyone remember the Chilean miners that were stuck in that uh, horrible accident a few years back? Or the, uh, the boys that were in Thailand that got trapped in that cave uh, last year? Imagine if those boys or those miners were all rescued and brought out of those terrible situations and they immediately began to fight with one another over what order they came out of the cave or tunnel. Or imagine if they came out and they started to argue and fight with each other over what lunch they were going to eat that day, whether they were going to eat ham or turkey. That would be crazy. You'd want to say to them, stop. What are you doing? Get together. Don't you realize what you've been through? Look at the big issue here. You have been rescued together. What is more important? That's what Paul is doing here. He's saying the the cross of Christ is infinitely greater than anything that takes place in the local church. The cross of Christ puts us out of danger when we put our trust in Jesus. The cross of Christ puts us into fellowship. The cross of Christ is the reason we get new life. The cross of Christ is the reason we get new family. The cross of Christ is the reason we get new hope. The cross of Christ is the reason we get a new future. That's why he writes in verses 14 to 16. I'm so glad I didn't do any of these things that would detract. I'm so glad I didn't do things that drew attention to me. I'm so glad I didn't baptize you. All I did was proclaim the gospel, the good news. I didn't even use eloquent words or speech. Paul didn't want people to stand and look and say, look how clever Paul is. Look how funny Paul is. How brilliant Paul is. No, he proclaimed in a way that drew people to Christ. You see, the key to the Christian life is to understand the cross. The cross is the message that you cannot do anything. 
Christ did it all for you. So trust and take. This will mark you as a mature believer. I was trying desperately to find an illustration for something that tied all this together, and I I remembered the story of George Whitfield and John Wesley, both great preachers in the same time period, and yet they disagreed on so many theological issues. But when a man asked Whitfield if he thought he would see Wesley in heaven, he responded, I fear not, for he will be so near the eternal throne, and we at such a distance, we shall hardly get a sight of him. Whatever your issue is, if you are at odds with another believer... If you are at odds with your believing spouse or child or your parents, remember the truth of the gospel, the cross of Christ which saves. Remember love, that we can only love because he loved us first. And let me say this. Because I think the opposite is true. This is a bit of a double-edged sword. The way to avoid disunity is not to disengage uh, or, or not to build relationships and ties in the church because truth and love draw us closer than anything. Just as those miners and those boys in Thailand went through those experiences together that will make them inseparable in their minds, what they've been through. So we who have put our faith and trust in Christ are unified forever under that cross. So don't pull back and don't major on the minor things. Remember the cross. Remember the truth. Remember love. Let me pray for us.